0: to the Get Ready with Tony Stewart podcast in partnership with Insurance Nerds. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Shauna Reeves. Shauna, good afternoon. How are you?
1: Great. How are you?
0: Good, good. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you, Tony.
0: Uh, In this episode, we'll be discussing consumer advocacy and preventing elder abuse. Shauna Reeves is currently the Director of Elder Abuse Prevention at the Institute on Aging. Shauna has worked as a consumer advocate for 20 years. Her role includes creating an innovative and coordinated community response to elder abuse in Northern California, running San Francisco's Elder Abuse Forensic Center and multidisciplinary teams, along with training professionals in the public on elder abuse prevention, response, and laws, Presenting at state and national conferences on elder abuse trends and interventions, educating lawmakers, and providing policy recommendations related to elder consumer protection. Shauna has spearheaded the Veterans Benefits Protection Project, an innovative partnership that educates elders and their families about scams associated with a VA aid and attendance benefit. Shauna is also active in the community. Uh, serving on the California Department of Insurance Curriculum Board, tri-chair on the San Francisco Department on the Status of Women's Family Violence Council, uh, along with a number of other things is, uh, Shauna's got an amazing background. And uh, Shauna has also received numerous awards for her work in leadership, including the Aging Innovation Award, Aging Achievement Award, Service Recognition Award, and honored with a resolution recognizing her contributions to the field of elder justice by the Commission on the Status of Women. So (laughs) Shauna, what do you do with all that? How do you summarize (laughs) it It, when somebody says, hey, what do you do?
1: (laughs) (laughs) What do I do? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Tony. Um, It's an honor and I think I told you this already, but I have your book. I don't know if it's the only book that you've written, but uh, I have your most recent book. I'm very excited
0: oh, fantastic!
1: It, yeah. Um, what do I do? A uh, good question. The Elder Bees Prevention Program at the Institute on Aging in San Francisco has been around since 1984, um, and it's had many kind of twists and turns and different kind of versions, um, while all the Keeping its own its same name. Um, But what we do now is mainly two things. We do trainings. We train uh, what are called mandated reporters for elder abuse. So those are people who are mandated by law to report suspected elder abuse when they detect it. There are many people who fall fall under this category of mandated reporter, Uh, social workers, nurses in California, bankers, most recently, investment advisors and broker dealers. Um, All of these people must report suspected elder abuse uh, to Adult Protective Services or law enforcement. And one of our main jobs at the Institute on Aging's Elder Abuse Prevention Program is to train people on how to detect elder abuse and how to do that reporting that they're required to do. Um, So we do about 40 to 50 of those presentations per year. Inevitably, things come up for us um, about the system itself, about elder abuse. We learn a lot from the providers out in the community that we train, a lot about new scams, um, things that we wouldn't necessarily hear about because we're not doing direct service. Um, so one of the main things we do are these presentations. Um, I'll add a third thing, actually. After I said that.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> The other thing that we do is we run the elder abuse forensic Center, uh, Elder Abuse Forensic Center, and Multidisciplinary Team for the City and County of San Francisco. Uh, We're one of four in the state. We're very proud of this. Um, The four were started at the same time, the same funding source, uh, back in 2008 and have been going strong ever since. Uh, We meet every two weeks uh, to discuss San Francisco's most difficult to solve elder abuse cases the cases are brought to us by Adult Protective Services workers who are just stuck and not sure what to do um, with these cases, and the people around the table will come up with suggestions and case plans and support for these APS workers so that they can help their clients. Uh, the people around the table in those meetings are uh, San Francisco District Attorney's Office, SFPD, um, the San Francisco Public Guardian's Office. Instrument Aging uh, runs and facilitates it. We also Mm -hmm. have a physician from San Francisco General Hospital and a uh, geropsychologist, um, so a psychologist that focuses on the needs of older adults, who is also employed by Instrument Aging, who can do neuropsychological testing. There are probably other people around the table that I'm missing. Oh, uh, Neil Granger, who was also a guest on your program not too long ago, he is our expert on. Issues related to insurance and he's also a member of the team Um, And so we meet every two weeks um, for that and then every fourth meeting we open it up to the community So that anyone can come and talk about a case that they have or maybe learn about elder abuse We call that the multidisciplinary team versus forensic center and in those uh, team meetings There's no confidential information disclosed at all um, because, again, the public is allowed in, so everything mm-hmm. that happened in that um, room that day um, is uh, anonymous, confidential. Um, and then we also have someone come in from uh, an agency that does elder abuse prevention work or something related and give a presentation on kind of what they're doing uh, to prevent elder abuse. So right. those are our two main things that we do. And I can tell you about the third
0: you're interested. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. I, mean, yeah. I, I, I know you keep a little bit busy with all those different things, uh, you know, <laughs> and we'll definitely uh, dive deeper in there. Um, you know, the, one of the questions I always like to ask people too is, uh, especially because we have some younger people in the insurance nerds audiences, how did you get started? How did you end up uh, doing what you do?
1: Well, I like so much that the name is Insurance Nerds, um, because I'm definitely an elder abuse prevention nerd. Um, I really fell into this profession. I'm so fortunate and so lucky that it happened, but it was was by chance. I got my start working on fair housing issues when I was um, in college as an intern and out of college, uh, working on fair housing investigations specifically, um, so fighting discrimination and looking at ways to get people reasonable accommodations for their housing. And then I went to grad school to get my master's in social Work. And when I came back, I landed at the exact same place fair housing yeah, me. <laughs> I uh, did find a job right away and they hired me back. I was like, okay, well, that's good. Um, and while I was doing that, um, I got a job at Council on Aging Silicon Valley. Uh, they took a chance on me. Um, to be a case manager for older adults in the uh, Multi-Purpose Senior Services Program, otherwise known as MSSP, the Medi-Cal Waiver Program, which means that that elders with Medi-Cal who want to stay in their homes and not go into nursing homes get provided supports so that they can stay and thrive in the community with the help of a social worker and a nurse. Um, So I had that job, and I really liked it. That's how I discovered that I liked older adults. Um, Mm -hmm. What I didn't think was that There wasn't much policy in it. Um, I felt like I was kind of doing the same thing day in and day out, and I like to kind of do things more on a macro level. So Mm -hmm. then I worked in transportation for a little while, um, paratransit more specifically. And then I got a call um, to come back to Council on Aging because they, this is amazing, um, they had gotten a grant that actually combined (laughs) my love of housing policy (laughs) and elder justice And Mm -hmm. a pretty sizable grant, and they wanted me to be the social worker on that grant and work with the Law Foundation Silicon Valley, who who I worked very closely with when I was doing for housing work. So that was really the start of my consumer protection work and where I completely fell in love with the field. Uh, As difficult as that work was, we were working on uh, cases involving elders who had been sold predatory mortgage loans and we're getting kicked out of their homes. Um, it was really that program and those relationships that made me want to stay in the field forever. Um, and it's just weird how it all came full circle, but also like very nice.
0: Definitely, well, you know, I mean, that's so important, uh, the work that you do. And unfortunately there are so many financial uh, predators about there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that brings up a question for me is, um, insurance agents uh to, to what degree are insurance agents uh, mandatory reporters uh to you no
1: so your audience is a national audience right uh correct yeah and you know i did try to figure that out before I <laughs> <laughs> uh so at present so i can speak to california uh-huh. uh currently insurance agents are not on that list of mandated reporters but as of january 1st investment advisors and broker dealers are so i know that there can be some crossover Um, and i tried to figure out if other states had insurance agents on their list and um what i what popped up was a giant list from a law school that had like every single um state on it including every category and i i didn't have time to figure out um if insurance agents were included um, so again, I, I can speak to California, but I, I would encourage your, your um, subscribers to figure that out um, to see if their state does have them on the list of mandated reporters. In California, um, to my knowledge, they are not, unless they are broker-dealers or investment advisors. That's,
0: that's really important. And, you know, I mean, something, you know. Let me pose this to you because I think this is important for people. One of the things that I've always talked about is best practices. Mm -hmm. So I think, would you say it would be a reasonable best practice for people in the insurance industry, even if they're not sure if they're a mandated reporter, Mm -hmm. that it's in everybody's best interest if they assumed and acted like they were um, Mm a mandated reporter?
1: Yes. So just because you're not mandated doesn't mean that you um, don't have the option to report. And so, yes, I absolutely encourage people to report. Um, There are ways that, I mean, it depends on the case, but you can be open with your clients about um, wanting to report. You can um, actually help the clients file their own reports. I don't want to get on here and say, you know, just because you make a report to adult protective services, everything's going to be fixed um, and wrapped up and me a bow tie and the elder's going to be fine um, but it does help to make those reports um, only one out of 14 cases uh, of elder abuse are reported to adult protective services or law enforcement wow when we make those reports it's helping not only put elder abuse on the radar but help those elders access um, supports that they might not know about um, I also uh, and I, I think it's really important to I just pointed out that APS won't solve everything for your clients. It's also a uh, voluntary service. So if the elder gets um, a knock on the door from APS, it'll protect services and they just don't want to participate. There's no law saying that they need to. Mm -hmm. Uh, The protective services social workers can walk away. And some people are just very turned off by social services knocking on their door. Um, People can be private or scared. There are many factors that work there. Um, So what I also suggest is that uh, your subscribers look into the, um, the, the state bar approved uh, lawyer referral services in your area mm-hmm. because a lot of times elders, in addition to social services, need legal help. And so if you can help them locate the legal help, uh, that can help a ton um, for your clients to get justice um, if that's what they need. Uh, far too many elders are still relying on things like the phone book. I even had an elder who got her attorney through the penny saver um in the end we were both able to laugh about it but um uh but that was not the right decision um trying to find your attorney is a very difficult one and doing it based on advertisement um, quite dicey um so trying to find out where the legal referrals are can be very helpful um in addition to making those reports through adult protective services
0: that's great that that's super helpful so you know a question on that vein is um where are areas where insurance agents and insurance companies can improve their best practices when working with consumers and seniors, especially?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to be ethical with everyone you work with, obviously. I know in California, there are special protections for senior um, insurance consumers. Um, but what I like to suggest is that you just do whatever it takes to make sure that what you're helping the elder with is done in an ethical fashion, the transaction, um, you can tell that, well, I mean, as much as possible, that the elder understands what you're discussing with them, um, that you're not putting undue pressure on the elder or um, using arguments like, you know you get this insurance product, then it will help you avoid a nursing home. Things like that that are generally quite untruthful. Um, so following the laws. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Follow the laws, g- a good tip.
1: <laughs> right. right. Um, that's number one. Um, there are trainings um, on working with senior consumers that I think uh, can be very useful. Things that discuss um kind of like the, the slowing down that can doesn't not always happen with the senior brain, but it can make it so the elders just might need a little more extra time or they need someone to slow down and not talk like I talk right now on your podcast a mile a minute. Um, or they need, uh, yeah, just more time to make a decision. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and those are all sorts of things that I think apply to, uh, to all consumers, but especially senior uh, consumers. And again, there are special uh, trainings for this. Um, and special, I just definitely follow the laws in your um, specific jurisdiction.
0: Well, definitely. And I think one of the underlying themes there too that you uh, mentioned early on is that you should treat everybody like that and treat everybody mm-hmm. with consideration mm-hmm. and ethically and fairly. Um, yeah, so it's yeah. pretty sound advice. And I think it would lead to happy customers happy <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and it keeps your E&O claims down
1: yes, too at the same
0: absolutely.
1: time. Right. Um, yeah. I was going to say, like, not to use fear as the tactic, but but there are ways that you can abuse um, an older person that might not look super intentional, but... Um, but in the end, if you're, um, if you're pressuring them, if you're using undue influence, um, the law on undue influence has recently been updated in California. Um, yeah, you could get into trouble. So you don't want to keep that in the back of your mind as well. Um, am I acting ethically? Um, am I uh, trying to get one over on this elder, um, and doing it by exploiting certain vulnerabilities that they have? Those are all sorts of sort of things that you want to keep in mind.
0: Well, that's great advice. Um, and one I think everybody should put in practice, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, especially for elders, but for dealing with any of their clients, if, if you have to question anything that you're doing, mm-hmm. or not be able to explain it to somebody else or feel like, eh, it's not quite the right thing is then maybe, you know, it's not something you should be doing. Um, right. So that's right. sound advice. Um oh, yeah. So what are some of the main trends that you're seeing in elder abuse prevention and intervention? It sounds like things are changing and I'm, there's some new laws going into effect.
1: Um, yeah, there are some trends and there are some new laws. And I'm glad you brought up the new laws because it made me think of something I just left out. Uh, in terms of trends, uh, we're seeing much of this stuff moving online. And even if it's not online, um, it's like a combination of telephone and online. Um, Robocalls have gone through the roof. Uh, 70% of people recently, when they were pulled by Consumer Reports, said they don't even bother to answer their phone anymore. Um, There were 54 billion robocalls uh, this year, um, which is up from 48 the previous year. I received two robocalls myself this morning before this podcast. Um, These are all sorts of things that I wasn't seeing um, when I started this work. I used to have something that I called bring your mail to work day. And it was, um, mm-hmm. would have clients bring me their scammy mail. <laughs> oh, what what <laughs> nice days those were <laughs> when we only had to watch out for um, scams coming through the mail. Now uh, everyone's gotten much more uh, sophisticated, and by um, one, I mean scammers. Um, so they're doing these things through the mail and through the phone. Um, uh, those are scams, or scam trends that we're seeing that are um, so on the rise that they're basically getting the ear of. Uh, media uh, in a way i 've never seen before in our field um, there's been a i'd say a chip on our shoulder a little bit as, as a field that that I've noticed saying you know people don 't care about elder abuse um, you don't see it in the news now you see it like everything um, mm-hmm. and I think people do care about elder abuse and and there are new laws uh, that have been passed um, I'm thinking most recently um, President Trump passed the um the safe act um uh, which protects advisors from facing uh, liability for making reports to, say, Adult Protective Services or law enforcement. If they, they want to make those, um, those calls, they are protected from, um, from civil liability for, for doing that. Um, FINRA recently um, said that uh, investment advisors are allowed to hold funds for 15 days. Um, before disbursement if they think that an elder is being exploited and then they're also required now to ask uh, their customers if uh, there's a trusted person that um, that they can call should something seem like should it seem like the elder is doing something that's not in their best interest is there someone in their life a trusted person um, that can be put in the file so that if that happens um, they can be contacted um, those are all moves in the right direction, I would argue. It's not going to solve anything um, outright, but it helps a lot. <laughs> mm. um, these are tools we didn't have last year. Um, on the robocall front, the uh, TRACE Act was um, passed into law, and that um, actually makes it so that it's going to be a, little, uh, a lot easier to identify uh, robocallers um, through authentication. Um, authentication. Um, methods. Um, and it also increases the penalties for robocallers to break, break the law. So these are all positive moves. Um, I know I've gone into senior centers to give presentations and have been told, what are you doing <laughs> to fix <laughs> robocalls? <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I know it's really, really tough. I've heard from seniors who'll say, you know, I'm, I got home from the hospital. I'm trying to recover from a hip replacement. And my phone keeps ringing off the hook. Now these are people who are trying to get calls from their loved ones and relatives and friends who are checking up on them, but it's freaking robocallers. So, um, so these have real world, um, real life implications that are outside of like um, actually losing your money, you actually lose your sanity as well um, to these mm-hmm. calls. So I think that anything that we can do uh, to fight um, the like million things that I just threw your way um, <laughs> yeah. are good. But I think what I'm also showing here is the the enormous scope of this problem. Um, I mean, elder abuse is one thing. Elder abuse incorporates physical, emotional, uh, neglect, things like that. And all I've talked about is financial. Um, And financial is like its own world and its own kind of of out-of-control world, I would say.
0: Definitely. I mean, yeah, when you say that, and given my own experience, I would say out-of-control, unfortunately, sums up a lot of it. Um, Do you think with some of the implementation of technology that the insurance industry and the greater financial services industry could help uh, slow down elder um, abuse?
1: Um, I've seen some attempts at helping um, the epidemic through technology, and and I'm hopeful. Um, Unfortunately, technology is also used in the, the ripping off um, so it's a matter of fighting um, the bad with the good technology. Um, there are some exciting new platforms online for seniors who want to help um, like monitor their bank accounts um, mm-hmm. for suspicious activity, things that I really wish the banks would just do themselves. You wouldn't have to pay a third party. Um, but, but things like that can be useful. Um, there's also a, a debit card that it's, it's a lockdown debit card. Uh, for seniors that might be suffering from dementia or maybe some other type of cognitive impairment um, who want access to their money, but they don't want access to their money so they can use it on the wrong things. So um, mm-hmm. they can't pay for a ton of magazine subscriptions or sham lotteries or things like that with their money. Um, it's a debit card with limits on how the money can be spent and where it can be spent. Um, I think those are incredibly creative ways of addressing uh, the epidemic I you mean, know, obviously, um, every little bit helps. Um, I'll go into in a bit about how seniors can prevent like future harm. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I was going to talk about is how elders, um, many of whom are very private, um, might not be ready to name their durable power of attorney yet. They're not sure who that person should be, um, but they want someone just to kind of check in and oversee. And so mm-hmm. there's something called a... Um, a read-only bank account um or access through read-only and that's where an elder can uh keep the bank account have be the only one with access to the money but someone like an adult son daughter friend um can look at the account just to make sure that everything uh, is legit um they again they won't have access they won't be on the bank account um this this won't be a joint account but that um that person can just kind of check in and make sure that things are okay so that's a a read-only option. Not all banks um, offer it, but I think it'd be incredibly helpful if more did. Um, Other than that, on the technology front, um, for robocalls, um, a lot of app developers have come up with their own solutions and now the the phone companies um, have either caught up or supplementing or um, even adopting some of those third-party tools. Uh, One is called Nomorobo. Um, All of this, I think, for your subscribers, it would be best if you checked out the great work that Consumer Reports has done on this. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that if you um, look at their website, they'll show you the different options because it depends um, which tool you use, depends on whether you have a cell phone or a landline and who your um, provider is. But there, there are many creative solutions now to, to stopping robo calls from getting to your phone or at least um, having fewer of them come to your phone. So I think that's really helpful.
0: Definitely. Well, I, whether you're a senior or not, I think everybody in uh, America has definitely had enough of robocalls, yeah, exactly. you know, yeah. and I'm at the point where we don't answer our home phone anymore mm-hmm. because you know it's, it's only robocallers who have that number. It seems like <laughs>
1: it's a robo party.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that's unfortunately, where we've gotten. Um, so, you know, with the graying of America, do you feel that the problem is going to get worse before it gets better? or are some of these new measures going to kick in and help as um, we become an aging or we are an aging country? Mm-hmm.
1: It's difficult. So when, when you're looking at the scams that are happening on the phone and online, um, for a lot of them, actually, younger people are the the vast majority of people following them are younger. They're not older adults. Um, Yeah. It's an interesting um, statistic that's come out. Um, But older adults have the wealth in this country. They tend to, they have a lot more than the millennials, that's for sure. Um, And so Mm -hmm. when they get hit, they get hit hard. Um, And they're also targeted for that reason. Um, And so now you can buy lists. Um, They're called sucker lists. Um, If an elder um, puts their money or puts their name into uh a lottery um like one of these fake lotteries or sends money off to a fake charity um and then they maybe do it a couple times they can end up being put on a list that then gets uh bought and sold to other bad people who will then try and solicit them for more donations and it just kind of spirals from there um those are some of the dangers that that we're looking at um i don't see much happening to fix those suckerless. Um, a lot of it's underground, so it's hard to, hard to tell how to tackle that. Um, I, I want to be hopeful, um, but I'd say that um, Elder Kind has really just been clobbered by this stuff, um, at least in the time that I've been doing it. Um, I mean, you work in elder abuse prevention for as long as I have, and you'd hope that there'd be some um, kind of the, the ship would be turning around a little bit. And if anything, we're just seeing the, the financial abuse taking off. Uh, I think because of that awareness and because the media is paying more attention to it, I think people are more savvy. Um, for your subscribers, if you're interested, we put up some flashcards on five, top five scams that, um, that elders tend to see, we were all seeing, but that elders tend to see as well um, to help with that education piece. It turns out that it's not all that helpful just to tell elders, hey, watch out for scans. Uh, you actually want to tell them what to look for. I, th- I think that applies to all of us. Like, don't. Why are your money overseas? Okay, that's great. Well, like what does a grandparent scam look like? Or what does a tech support scam look like? And So we created flashcards that are on our uh, website uh, to to warn people about that. Um, uh, One scam I want to talk about, I'm just telling you about all the bad things now, um, that we've seen an explosion in is the uh, romance scam, um, which is uh, scammers that use online dating platforms to get at older adults. Uh, this one's mm-hmm. really taken off and it's just super sad because it's this combination of like an elder feeling lonely and wanting to date. Uh, but then not knowing that like people on online dating sites might not be who they seem. And a lot of the same people that target you with um, fake lotteries or IRS scams are the same ones that are on these uh, dating platforms. And so we've seen uh, incredible amounts of money being uh, handed over um, via online dating romance scams. And these are people that have contacted the elder and the elder like never met them, but they receive flowers from them and they receive tons of messages. And so the elder can think that they're in a relationship. Um, and then really uh, disturbing is when we see the elder completely completely um, like all of their money is gone, all their liquids, and sometimes their retirement. And so the scammer will then get them to leverage the home. So they'll get them to take out a first mortgage and send it. Um, those things are just so, so, so heartbreaking. Um, and it, it just seems like it's on. not just, I mean, it's on the rise in terms of how it's reported. Like um, it's being reported more and more to APS. It's being reported more and more to the FTC, but that's reports. Like I just think of so many of the elders who have done this and are too ashamed to talk about it, have not reported it. It's actually really frightening when you think about the actual toll that this is taking, um, and how many victims are out there.
0: Yeah, that is scary. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, and I think the lessons too for, uh, members of the insurance industry where they could watch out for them, thinking right away, uh, I'm sure you've seen this as policy loans, uh, on life insurance policies, withdrawals on annuities. And again, on life insurance policies, maybe changes in homeowners insurance policies, suspicious Mm -hmm. claims Mm -hmm. uh, on a homeowners insurance policy, additional insured showing up on an auto or home. I mean, are, are those some of the areas in the insurance industry where insurance agents and insurance companies could say, hey, you know, if we see this screen, of you know these certain data points on uh, people's policies over a certain age is that something that the insurance industry could actively participate in using Absolutely. data?
1: Absolutely, and that's where the change is going to happen, um, top down, not like waiting for a bad agent. Um, to get turned into adult protective services to like then get prosecuted. That's not how the change is going to happen. It's really going to happen when the the companies themselves start looking at those trends and looking at the data and, and reining people in. Um, That's absolutely how it's going to happen.
0: That's great. Uh, Just making a note because I I, I think that's so important that the companies can and agents can take an active role that they don't need to sit back. Um, So, you know, Speaking of which, you know, is pretty much everybody in my audience, uh, for the most part, is still in the working community mm-hmm. or working age, and we all have parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking, you know, like that debit card is some, we had something similar for my son when he was younger, mm-hmm. is a controlled debit card. Um, what do you recommend to those of us who are working age, like you and I, who are in the middle um, mm-hmm. What what can we do to watch out for our parents?
1: Mm-hmm. The number one thing you can do is start having this conversation now and not wait. It's um, what I hear over and over and over again. Um, again, like not all elders are ready to name their durable power of attorney, and for some, it's like a very good thing that they don't because they actually might be worried um, that. Maybe that adult center daughter is not trustworthy. They're just not ready. There's so much out there that says, you have to get a DPOA now. OK, great. Well, if you know exactly who that person should be, do it. If not, be very, very careful about that. Uh, there's a reason it's also called a license to steal. Um, but just starting that conversation early can be so important, uh, not treating it as taboo. Um, Telling the elder that, you know, you're ready for the conversation when they are. They might be the one hesitating to bring it up. They might not want to be a burden to you. Um, They might be kind of nervous about discussing finances at all with you. Uh, It might be that your family just didn't do that. Um, I have my own personal experiences with this that I can uh, draw upon. I remember um, this is over a decade ago, but my grandma really, really wanted to talk about Uh, her living trust uh, at Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Um, Remember a a relative telling me how morbid that was and how we shouldn't be talking about it. But I work at Elder Abuse Prevention. I was very interested. I wanted to hear like what was going on. And so Mm -hmm. the more she told me about where she was going for her services uh, to get this living trust, the more (laughs) suspicious I got. I was so grateful that she talked to me about it because it turned out that she actually had, Uh, had enlisted the services of a company that was not great, uh, that she did not have an attorney writing up her living trust. It was actually notaries um, in the the state of California that is prohibited. Um, And so in the end, what she had done is she had paid for a living trust that was not gonna protect her estate. Uh, Everything was gonna go straight to probate. I was so grateful that she brought it up and that we could fix this uh, before it was too late. Um, and I bring up that example, um, because I think people are just really afraid of these issues, but they're also so relieved when they get them taken care of. <laughs> so, yeah. Um and, um, and I really don't think you can start early enough. Um, which brings me to my other point. So, so a lot of stuff's in the shadows. People don't know where to go. Um, I can generally tell people where to go because I've done this work, but I don't, I don't expect everyone to know like how to find a good attorney, maybe don't use an online service to get your living trust, things like that. Um, but I can generally guide people, but the more people are afraid to talk, the more they're going to be driven into the hands of the people who are not going to act in their best interests. They're going to open up a phone book. They're going to find a notary that's going to give them a junk trust. Um, So those are the things that we want to avoid by having conversations early.
0: Um, Well, that's great. Um, You know, one of the things that I've started to tell people is um, I recommend a family financial meeting. Is that something Mm -hmm. you would recommend that people have family financial meetings?
1: I mean, we don't all have families where that's um, possible or advisable. (laughs) Yes. Uh,
0: Well, that is a good point. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> point, point taken.
1: <laughs> you, don't working in this field. Like, you don't want to just apply your own family situation to everyone. Uh, but if you do have that, if you do have a family that would be open to it, absolutely, um, definitely.
0: Okay. And this is yeah. what you
1: do. You teach people to plan. So I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Uh, but yeah, in, the, in this context, uh, I think it's extra important. Um, and I think that uh, what you can do as a family member is just normalize it. Don't treat it as taboo. Don't treat it as morbid because the elder might already be thinking that um, and just be open to the conversation.
0: Definitely. Now, you know, for advisors who are working um, with clients, is that also something that you see is, is I know sometimes in my practices, there'll be one spouse who, you know, that's the thing. They're the ones who deal with the insurance and the other spouse really doesn't know what's going on. Is that something somehow the advisors can work into the conversation as clients get older or they deepen the relationship, you know, is, how do you bring that up as, you know, like, Hey, does your spouse know what's going on? I mean, you can't ask that question like that, but how, how do you um, get other interested parties? You know, like you mentioned, uh, you know, with the trusted other person, how, how does somebody go about doing that or starting that conversation with our clients?
1: It's a great question. And as someone who's not a financial planner, it's harder for me to
0: answer. (laughs) That's okay.
1: Um, I like to come at things with an air of curiosity. Um, I don't want to come into a meeting with like, here's my agenda. Here's what I want by the end. And I think that anyone who's meeting um, with elders um, would be in a really good position if they if they carry themselves in the same way. <laughs> uh, because people are gonna know when you have an agenda. So if you um, ask questions, like, like, like you put it, does your spouse know about this? Instead of, your, your spouse should know this, or what, hap- what happens if something happens to you? So those sorts of things that are gonna cause people to be very defensive, um, I would say those are not the techniques to use. Um, but being just kind of open and curious, and not um, thinking that everything will be resolved in one meeting. pressure is not good pressure is not good in sales and pressure is not pressure is not good in planning Um, but but those just being an open open um, type of person um, in those meetings I think can go a really long way
0: yeah well I think you hit on something that's really important is that it's it's a long conversation it's Mm -hmm. not a short conversation Mm -hmm. Um, and to continue just to educate your clients I, I think it gets back to you know, uh, whether you're consulting or selling um, Mm -hmm. and the nature of a relationship. If you value your clients, I think that you're going to come off in that vein where you'll be doing your clients better service and where you'll be able to help Mm -hmm. your clients identify some of these issues. Mm -hmm. And do you also feel that as an industry, that if we were to better educate um, our clients and the general public about our products and services that that might help uh with some of the things you see
1: so working on that literacy piece yeah yeah to make people more
0: financially literate Mm
1: Mm-hmm. um for sure i mean i i tend to be of the camp that financial literacy is like very important but it's not everything um and Mm -hmm. i get very suspicious when i know you're not this way but like oh, we just need to teach people about these products and then they'll just be able to make decisions. <laughs> okay, well, um, there's, there's more to it than that. Or, or worse, like if we just teach them about products and they won't get abused, we um, teach them to avoid things. Because um, again, it's more complicated than that. But I, I think it can help a lot um, just to make um, contracts and products and things that are um, just very confusing with very opaque language, um, just more understandable. I think, I think that would help. Um, in many areas of our lives, actually, <laughs> many, many things. Um, but yeah, for financial products, absolutely. And sometimes it can take a little bit longer to explain a product um, with an elder, um, especially maybe one who's had a spouse who's done uh, the financial planning and work in the past. Just as someone who, for whom English is not their first language, you might need to take a little more time. I think it's it's yeah, it's really important to explain.
0: Definitely. No, I, I, I can see it. And, you know, it was interesting. I was talking with a client this morning and he's, uh, he's definitely uh, a senior mm-hmm. at this point. And I could tell, you know, that over the last few years is that the nature of the conversations yeah. has changed a little bit and his, mm-hmm. um, his comprehension is a little bit different mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it may take explaining the same thing to him a couple times or in a a different way is rephrasing it um, Mm -hmm. to help him uh, understand it. And I I think people need to keep that in mind is that, you know, yeah, it it is financial literacy, but it's exactly, as you said, it's more than financial literacy is, you know, first people do need to understand what you're talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. which is a a good thing in any situation, Mm -hmm. but then they have to know what to look for and, you know, what are the, pros and cons and what are the red flags mm-hmm. and that I think that if we do a good job with our clients um in reviewing those things and as an industry and educating people about that is that you know we'll, we'll never get all the bad guys and right. I think you've been very clear on that and I, mm-hmm. unfortunately that's why you're keeping really busy is mm-hmm. there are a lot of bad guys out there right. um And unfortunately, bad girls too, (laughs) so (laughs) we'll be equal opportunity. Um, So, you know, one of the things too you've been involved with, um, I don't want to have this be a super long podcast, uh, but there are a couple of areas I'd love to just delve into quickly is one is, you know, you've been involved with the legislative process. Is that something other people can become involved with? Um, Do you feel you're making an impact?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and that's why I do what I do. I love working one-on-one with elders, but it was really hard to see the same situation arise again and again and again, thinking, man, we could just knock this out <laughs> with, <laughs> with this solution, um, or get these elders together to testify for this. Um, so it's really tough to do the, the one-offs um, that weren't one-offs, to see it again and again, um, and that's why I was so motivated to do policy um, and to mm-hmm. work on those policy fixes. I think People can definitely get involved. Um, I encourage you to get involved. Uh, it's it's not a simple process. Um, you want to, for sure, like figure out the lay of the land. You have a specific policy idea. You want to know, has someone tried it before? Sometimes it's just as basic as asking, hey, <laughs> has someone tried this before? This happened to me a number of times. And you find mm-hmm. out, why it didn't it work? Or maybe uh, what hurt its chances that time, but here's what you could do to fix this time. Um, you wanna see who else is, um, is working in the area that you're looking at. Um, I'm a social worker, but I feel like I, I cannot just work in my silo of social workers uh, if I'm gonna do this. I need to figure out what's happening in the legal world. I need to find out uh, what's happening uh, at the state. I need to figure out what's happening with nonprofits. I didn't even consider like doing elder abuse prevention work, but that's exactly what they're doing. Um, gotta check with, check in with them first. Um, and sometimes it's actually a, a situation where you need to defeat bad legislation. Uh, that can be uh, more important in a lot of ways. Um, and by bad, I mean, sometimes it's just the stuff that does, it seems kind of like fluff, but it's actually going to do a lot of damage. And sometimes you'll see an advocate with a really big heart put forward a proposal. Um, that's just not, not good. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not good. Because it hasn't taken into account what the thing. And in the end, your opponents, we're going to change it completely and, and take it as a victory. So, yeah, I think uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's about relationships. Just as you said, working with clients is about relationships. Doing policy work is absolutely about relationships. Uh, it's my favorite thing to do. It's uh, the thing that I think the, uh, the elders I work with have also gotten the most jazzed about because say they, they would have a really bad thing happen to them, but then they get the chance to go like testify about it and make sure that their case is not forgotten, and that it leads to something really good, which is protecting a bunch of other elders from the same fate. Um, that's what's been, for me, um, kind of the life-changing part of this work, and the stuff that keeps me motivated. So I definitely encourage more people to do policy work, um, but just like we said before, um, take it slow. Um, you don't come up with, like, a brilliant idea, and, like, it's gonna get Passed in a few weeks. Um, uh, there's there's a lot of groundwork that has to be laid, but it's it's really rewarding work. And I, I really encourage more people to get into the work.
0: Well, that's great. And I, I think you also had a very important point there for young people mm-hmm. uh, who are starting out in the industry is, you know, just because it hasn't been done yet, it doesn't mean that it can't be done. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't been done yet. Yeah, and exactly. Stay, stay diligent, be involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, with all that you have going on, uh, this is kind of one of my standard questions: How do you find balance and organization in your life? <laughs> or do you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um. Well, I have come very close to burnout, and um, I'm glad I didn't. And I've seen a lot of people burn out, um, and I'm sad that that happened. Uh, so for me, it's about keeping busy, keeping content with with other things I have a a toddler um to focus on (laughs) I uh, like to do things with him to get my mind off um the day job um I could do that uh quite regularly. um but to tell you the truth I, I could definitely be better um at uh both kind of slowing down and and the organizational aspects um I that said I think I have gotten better at it um over the years um just because I've had to um, take care of my child and, and also um, make sure that I can stay in this field um, without losing it. Um, so, yeah, um, I think that helps. I think also ha- having fun um, when I'm doing the work helps. It's incredibly depressing. So at um, if you just kind of are in it and, and not thinking about kind of how you can change what's going on or or uh, like good outcomes um at the institute on aging people have commented that my department the elder abuse prevention department seems to have the most joy and fun and and how it makes absolutely no sense because what we do is like (laughs) the stuff that we deal with is the deepest darkest stuff um but i tell them that's the only way we can do this work um if we keep it light in our interactions with each other and of course be serious when we need to be but um but I think having a sense of
0: humor is, is really the way to go. Well, that's great. Yeah. I think that's, that's an important thing for all mm-hmm. of us to keep in mind is to have a little bit of a sense of humor and yeah. some perspective is um, mm-hmm. so that that's great. Um, so, you know, what would be your number one tip on um, how older adults and their families um, and in this case, you know, their advisors or companies that they deal with, how, how can they help keep a, help keep themselves or loved ones from becoming a victim of financial Mm. abuse.
1: I wish there was a silver bullet. Um, above all, I think that making yourself very aware of how an elder could quickly become shamed, um,
0: Mm.
1: becoming a victim, even potentially becoming a victim. um, you always want that to be your framework. So say an elder has wired money to someone who claimed, this happens a lot actually, um, someone calls, they claim to be the grandchild, they say they're stuck in an overseas prison, and in order to get out, they need to wire $5,000 to this like fake attorney, who then they also put on the phone. Um, uh, when elders do that, um, it's, a, it's very crucial that, when they come to you to tell them that this has happened, that absolutely no judgment and shaming happens. So you might you might not understand why your loved one did this. Uh, seems kind of loony, um, but you're you weren't in their shoes. You didn't get that phone call where the person was crying, um, and the elder actually thought it was their grandson. And they had a lot of identifying information about the elder and the grandson, probably because they scoured Facebook um, and figured this stuff out. Um, so. If an elder, family loved one reports to you that this has happened to them, just make sure that everything you say does not make them feel more ashamed about what happened, um, because that will have the effect of closing off further conversation, making it very difficult to help with the, the present um, situation. It's just gonna, it's just gonna cause a world of hurt. Um, elders who come forward, I consider them very brave um, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, because they're facing that shame. Um, I can use an example um, of a loved one in my own family. Uh, Once we found out about the victimization, um, kind of worst fear scenario started happening. Like she was very worried that if we found out that this had happened, that she would lose the ability to um, manage her own affairs, even drive her car, things like that. Um, And, I mean, she had a right to be concerned. The family got much more um, kind of hands-on about, like, controlling the bank account and thinking about whether she should drive. Um, so there are all sorts of reasons that elders are not going to want to discuss these situations with their family members. And again, I mean, either like potential for victimization, planning, or once um, something actually has happened to the elders, are very shame. So just when you're having those conversations, you just want to be the most present um like attentive like not judgmental person that you can be for them even if inside you're really frustrated um because it's not about you <laughs> um mm-hmm. and it'll just help so much with that future planning and with the elders comfort and um all sorts of things it's just going to make for a better working relationship with your loved one down the road um it's just it's just going to help a ton so i think that um it's the number one thing you can do um listen be thoughtful be loving and don't don't make it so they retreat into their shame even more than they already have. Um, second thing, obviously, is planning, but um, there's so much that goes into planning. So um, um, I can't say one thing or the other. Durable private attorney can help, but it also can be harmful. Um, elder might need estate planning, things like that. Um, those are definitely all things, but since you asked for one, <laughs> that's the one thing that I can, um, I can offer, kind of like shame-proof your conversations with them.
0: Definitely. One, I think even at the heart of that is it it gets back to a theme uh, that's run through this podcast that it's really about open and honest uh, communication. Um, Maybe honest isn't quite the right word here, but open and full communication, perhaps, um, without judgment. Mm -hmm. And I I think you also hit on that with money is that just overall, I think that's one reason why people are... Uh, victims of fraud in my experience is that, you, you know, is they're, they're just not sure, you know, there's this whole taboo about money and speaking about money. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I think, you know, that, those there's such valid points. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we should wrap up. Uh, where can people learn more about you? Um, you know, and I'll post any links in the show notes.
1: Sure. <laughs> like google <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right <laughs> um sure uh institute on aging has posted some some helpful links on our webpage. i mentioned those uh scan flashcards earlier there are a number okay. of radio shows i've done that are up there posted um i've written some articles a lot of them are paywalled because they're in journals Um, But I'm happy um, to be a resource for your subscribers, so they can always, like, contact me um, through email or phone, Um, especially on the the legislative stuff, because that's my passion. So um, if people want to contact me about that, um, they can definitely feel free. Um, But other than that, I'd say the resources on the Institute on Aging website are quite good. Um, If you're uh, interested more generally in elder abuse, the National Center on Elder Abuse has really great links about like studies and research um, initiatives. And I mentioned Consumer Reports before because they've done such strong advocacy work with the robocalls, but Consumer Reports has like really great uh, references and, and uh, things in general on, on elder abuse as well. Um, and I would say the, the FTC website is quite good, especially on things like identity theft. Um, elders are getting their Social Security and Medicare uh, numbers stolen all the time. And the FTC has really good step-by-step tools on their website for how to how to recover after that. Um, and then the last place I would recommend, because they have really good fact sheets on a number of, um, of issues affecting seniors, is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Um, oh, yeah. Older adult section. And they're putting out new fact sheets, I would say, like every other week. So they're
0: great. Oh, that's great. Th- those are all mm-hmm. some great recommendations and I'll be sure to list those. Um, well, just to, you know, that, that reminds me of a one final question along that same note is uh, do you have a blog or are you posting on LinkedIn? Is there somewhere people can follow?
1: I don't post on it, <laughs> but, <Okay. laughs> but there are some links to my articles Um Oh, things have been quoted in and some articles on the LinkedIn. So, yeah, you're welcome to go to that. Um, Blogging I've not done in a long time. Um, I would love to do that again, though. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Things that I've written that are floating out there in the ether. Like, I did, like, top five under-the-radar scans. Um, That's still out there somewhere. And, sadly, it still applies. Even though it's, like, 10 years old, they're still pretty under the radar. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, there's nothing like current that I've done blogging wise. Um, I've been on the Instone aging blog a couple times in the last few months, but, but nothing that's like, um, like a regular blog for me. Um, but yeah, there's, there's stuff out there. And again, your subscribers okay. can definitely get in touch with me if they're yeah. interested in certain you know,
0: Well, and I'll be sure to repost anything that I see from you so that my followers can, uh, can also keep up with what you're doing about there and hopefully you'll come on again and uh we can continue the conversation since there's so many areas we didn't get to today yeah. um so shauna thank you so much for joining me on the get ready with tony stewart podcast it's been a pleasure to have you
1: thank you so much and yeah, thanks to yeah. Your- and yeah let's like make a dent in the ldb's epidemic
0: that sounds great yeah